So I want to talk this morning, I, I was reading an article um, by a, um, a theologian, I guess, by the name of Francis Chan, a church leader by the name of Francis Chan. Um, he leads a, a, a mega church, led a mega church in America that got in over, was getting in over 5,000 people each week coming to his services. And I read something that actually baffled me quite a bit. I, I know quite a bit about Francis Chan and the movement that he's doing, and I'm not going to comment on, on any of that, but he, he wrote something that really challenged me. He, he woke up one morning and he, he felt God say to him, according to the Bible, every single one of these people in his church has a supernatural gift that's meant to be used for the body. 5,000 people show up every week to hear only my gift and see only my gift, and that's a lot of waste. And based on this vision, this, this um, thought process that Francis Chen had, he left his megachurch and he went on to plant much smaller house, house home churches. Now, regardless of what you think of that, he realized that there was a massive mega amount of people in his church whose gifts weren't being used. And God was calling them to something, but they weren't outworking their gift. They were sitting in a, in a building, in a church house, and, and being taught by one man and understanding the, the power of God through one man's gift. Later on, in, in, as we get up further on this journey, we're going to start talking about the gifts and unfolding those. But the thing that challenged me in this is, I thought, yes, exciting. Disciples, we want to create disciples. And I thought that was in our vision statement, fantastic. But I didn't stop to think and reevaluate what it actually means to be a disciple of Christ. Flipping back through the Bible, I realized that God gives us 12 examples of a disciple. And I want to take this week and next week to really unpack those disciples and unpack what God was explaining in the fact of when he says to go and make disciples, first, I think we have to be disciples. And how can we make disciples and be disciples if we don't understand what a disciple actually is? Sometimes we get caught up in this Christianese language of, of words that we all know and we, and we all use regularly, but we don't actually break down what it means by each of those words. So this morning I want to take some time to, to really unpack discipleship and unpack what it means biblically to stand in a place of discipleship under Jesus. Would you go with me, go with me to Luke uh, chapter 14 verse 26 if you have a Bible. I just want to tackle this before we uh, get started. Uh, Luke 14, verse 26. Now, when I was preparing this, this message, I, um, I've been preparing this over quite a few weeks now. And um, I'm quite nervous, actually. I think the reason for that is that I, I don't want to get in the way of what God's trying to do. I read this verse and I thought, oh, maybe I should, um, maybe I should leave this verse out and not talk about it. But I figured, oh, I can't really do that. I need to tackle this before we get get into it. So let's just read this verse. Now great crowds accompanied him and he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, 
this man began to build and was not able to finish? Or what king going out to encounter another king in war would not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who come against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, anyone who does not renounce all that he has, all that he has cannot be my disciple. Now, instantly you read this verse, and for me, I start thinking, well, hold on a moment. Somewhere else in the Bible, we're told to honor our mother and our father. And here, Jesus tells us to hate our mother and our father. How in the world can that be of the same accord? I don't like the way they translate that in just about all of the translations that we have. I flicked through quite a few different translations and just about all of them use that word hate. But when you, when you actually look at that word hate, Jesus, I believe, and when we, when we understand the Greek meaning of the word and the Hebrew meaning of the word, Jesus is, is actually meaning love less. When you look at that word, it actually talks about to love less than those other things. So Jesus, in this in this um, saying to, to the thousands that were there, he's saying, unless you love everything less than me, you cannot be my disciple. He's not saying go and hate people. So we have to understand, and if you meet someone who's not a Christian, they will love to use this verse because it's saying, see, Jesus was about hate. No, we've translated it wrong. He was saying that in our lives, everything that we have, our mother, our father, our wife, our life, everything that we have must be less than who I am, Jesus. So when we read this verse, we have to understand that discipleship does not mean hate everybody, go out on your own and just just hold on to Jesus. How can that be? Because because we're told to love God, then love our neighbor. So it's not saying don't love people. It's saying don't love anything more than me because I'm telling you it'll ruin your life. When we go on further, it also says whoever, uh, sorry, where it says um, to pick up your cross. Um, Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. That cross is our self-denial. You know, when Jesus went to the cross, he put everything down to do what God asked him. When when it says to pick up our cross and follow him, it's denying of ourselves. So in order to be a disciple, we must not love anything above our God and deny ourselves to follow what he has for us. I think denying ourselves is one of the hardest things in this contemporary culture that we have because everything that we have in this world is about looking after you. These, these devices that we have, this technology that we have, the, the, the very ads that we watch all push toward building ourselves. yet Christ is saying to be my disciple you need to lay that down. But the beautiful thing about what Jesus does and what he did then was that he didn't just say, give everything away and I'll give you nothing. He said, give everything away and I'll give you everything. So when we begin to understand that we're giving nothing away and getting everything, our mind changes. Because now all of a sudden, we're giving away what doesn't matter and gaining everything that matters. So this verse, what Jesus is actually saying is, don't come into this discipleship lightly. Understand what you're doing. Understand that that when I enter this covenant with Christ and I enter this walk of discipleship, I'm entering on the basis that I'm giving everything away. But I'm getting so much more back. 
Jesus is saying, don't be foolish and not understand that. Understand that firstly. So in, in, in breaking this understanding of discipleship down, I, I, I want to I stress to you that we have to plan, we have to understand, we have to read the Scriptures and work out what Jesus is saying. Otherwise, we become that foolish person that goes into battle and has no idea of our enemy. We have to understand the strength and the power that Christ gives us so that when we go out to do the tasks that he's asked us to do, we have the weapons in our, in our belts, on our backs. <laughs> Whatever analogy you'd like to use for that. <laughs> Is that okay? We all good? Okay. The first two disciples that we meet in the Bible, which you can find which I'm going to show you where you can find as we go along. The first, the first two are, are brothers. Simon, Simon Peter and Andrew, the first disciples we meet. The first, the, the one that, that baffles me is, is Peter or Simon. So Simon comes along and the first time that he meets Jesus, the very first encounter that he has with Jesus, Jesus changes his name. So he comes in as Simon, he meets Jesus and Jesus says to him, I'm no longer going to call you Simon, you are now Peter. Cool with that? Yep, fantastic. They move along. That's how it reads in the Bible. He doesn't even contest it, not one moment. He just says, yep, I'm good with that. The second time that Peter now meets Jesus is the most fascinating and one of, one of the most gripping stories, I think, that, that we see in the disciples because of how it, how it reads. So in John 1 verse 42, Peter and Andrew are on the boat. And Jesus gets on the boat with them, asks them to float the boat out a bit so that he can preach to the people that are there, which is fascinating in itself because Jesus understood that his voice would travel better along the water. Um, but that's another story. So he gets on the boat and he asks Simon Peter, take the boat out a little bit and I, I want to preach to these people. So they do so. They've met him now and they're calling him. They've, st- they've started following him. After, after he preaches... Jesus says to them, they've been out all night fishing and caught nothing. Jesus says to them, cast your, your nets out into the depths of the sea and you'll pull up fish. Simon Peter says to him, but Lord, we've been fishing all night, but I'll do what you say. It's not going to work, but I'll do what you say. So he casts the nets out and they pull up a, a big lot of fish that their boat can't handle. They have to get the other boats in to pull it up. But the most fascinating thing in that whole story is what Simon says to Jesus after that. Simon says to Jesus, go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. So he now knows that Jesus is the rabbi, he's the Lord. And then Jesus shows him a miracle. And when he, when he really, truly understands that, the first thing that comes to his mind is, go away from me, God. I'm a sinful, broken man, and I can't stand in your presence. How often as, as Christians do we get along this walk and tell God to go away because we've done something wrong? How often do we get to that place where God shows us the most miraculous things in our lives, yet we instantly go to our guilt and our condemnation that the sin that we think that we carry, and we say, God, I can't do this. Go away from me. I'm not worthy of who you are. But Jesus has the most incredible response. Jesus says to Peter, Do not be afraid. From now on, you'll be catching men. Jesus doesn't even tolerate the fact that Simon thinks that he's a sinner. 
He doesn't even toy with the fact to say it when you're not a sinner. He says, do not be afraid. You see, when we walk through this life, the thing that rips us apart from God is our fear. Our fear that's cultivated by man telling us that we're not good enough, we're not perfect enough, we're not who we're supposed to be. And God says, go, I've got this. Christ knew that he was going to take that sin from Peter. So when he says to him, don't fear, he's saying, I got this, just come with me. I got this, just come with me. How many times do we sit in a place where we go, God, I've stuffed up again and again and again. God goes, stop fearing, come with me. I got this. It doesn't matter. What matters is that you walk with me and you know who I am. And you know, the most incredible thing is that Peter doesn't question God back. Um, Jesus back, sorry. He doesn't question Jesus and say, no, but you don't understand. He just understands the authority that Jesus carried. You see, we can't let the fear of the flesh take us from our walk with Christ. And that's not, I'm not saying remove you from being Christian. I mean the faith that you have in that little moment. That when you come together as a family like we did this morning to worship, and in your head you're going, no, I can't do this this morning because I've done something. That's fear riddling your choice to stand in the place that we got to stand in this morning. But when you wake up and you think, you know what, I'm going to pray this morning and something says to you, you know, you can't do that because of what you've done. And we go, oh, you're right. God is saying, do not let that fear riddle that time with me. I got this. Peter felt that he couldn't walk with Christ because of that. And Christ completely blows that out of the water. One of the things that we need to, I need you to remember and focus is that when Jesus went onto the boat with Simon and Andrew, he, he says to them, follow me. Sorry, before they go on the boat, he says, follow me. And they do. The next two, um, so that, that, they're the first two that we meet. Simon, Peter, and Andrew. The next two that we meet are James the Lesser and John. Again, brothers. James, is known in the Bible as James the Lesser because of his age, not because of anything that he carried. There's two, there's two um, Jameses in the disciples, one James the Lesser, one James the Greater. That is only, that's talking about their age. One was older, one was younger. So these two brothers, James and John, are the sons of Zebedee, who was a great and well-known fisherman in their time. So Zebedee is, a, is a, quite an influential fisherman in the, in the city that they're in, and he's got two young sons that are going to take over um, from his fishing business, essentially. One of the most interesting things, John is one of my favorite disciples because of his understanding of, of Christ and how much he loved Christ. But it's so interesting, and, and I was so blown away when I caught this. Jesus called them the Bonergas brothers, which actually meant the sons of thunder. So Jesus understood these two boys. He called them the sons of thunder. And you think, oh, what a cool name. That was because they were powerful. No, it's because they were pains in the bum. <laughs> most most um, theologians will argue that, and it's, it's clear in the, um, in the scriptures that they were hot-tempered. You know, it says that, that John was, was known because of how zealous he was for Christ. You know, the, 
the, the excited nature that he just wanted to do what Christ wanted of him. That both of these boys were so excited, they were so passionate, but their passion was hurting people. So we see that in, in um, the boys, two boys go into, in with Jesus into a, um, a Samaritan village and, and they go in and the village rejects Jesus. So the two boys say to Jesus, or the two men say to Jesus, we'll just, we'll just rain fire down from heaven and kill them all. <laughs> Their response to the village not understanding Jesus and walking with Jesus, that's cool, we'll just rain fire, burn them, and we'll go to the next village. <laughs> these are two men that Jesus said, these are my disciples. These are two that I'm going to train. And their first response is, all right, we'll just burn them. There's more. We'll move on. And Jesus rebukes them for that and says, no, that's not what we're here for. You see, their, their passion and their desire was to do what Christ wanted. Their head was in the wrong place, though. But their heart was in the right place. Their heart was, God, we want to do what you want us to do. We want to be a part of what you're a part of. What do you want us to do? Like a dog with a bone. I don't know what it is, but I want to do it. The passion and the drive to see what Christ was doing in this place and to be a part of that was the most important thing that they carried. We know guys like this in that, that we're partnering with. Just recently we had a story of, of, a, of a friend, I won't tell you who he is, but he, um, he was so excited of doing God's work that he went and, and spent all this cash and built this, this incredible thing but he thought that all the rest of the church was going to back him. He was so excited about doing God's work. And it, and it, is, a, it is a good work and it's going to be a, a massive thing. But his head, got a, his head got in front of his heart. Sorry, his heart got in front of his head. It didn't make any sense, but he was so excited. You know, sometimes we get so passionate about things, but we do it outside of God's timing. When our heart is in it and God is in it, it'll happen. You know, this, this building that we're doing with Set Free Care, there's, there's so many times where we can get so passionate and so excited and overzealous and put ourselves in a bad place. But we've got to just wait for Christ. Just wait. It is good. It's going to work. But we've just got to wait. We need this now. Well, we need it soon. We'll just wait. But our heart, if our heart isn't there, nothing will ever happen. You see, Jesus rebukes them and says, no, that's not what we're going to do. But, but yet he calls them the zealous one. He calls them, John became the disciple that Jesus loved. So it wasn't that they were being, they were bad, naughty, naughty disciples. They were learning. They were trying to understand what it meant to walk this thing out. And sometimes they stepped out of the boundaries. And Jesus just went, nope, just get back in there a little bit. But see, sometimes as Christians, we get so round up, we get so, we get so excited, we put everything into something and it falls apart and then we give up. Now, well, I moved countries to do this and it didn't work. So, so God mustn't exist or he doesn't want to use me, so I'm just going to not do this anymore. No, you did it outside of the timing that God had for you. Your heart was right, but you didn't wait to hear what, where God was leading you in that. It's good to be zealous. It's good to be excited. But we have to match that with the timing of God and waiting for what God has for us.
to note with these two boys, with James and John, when they, when they were out on the boat, they were fishing with their dad. So they were out fishing. Jesus comes to the shore and Jesus says to them, follow me. They both lay down their nets immediately. The Bible says they immediately hopped off the boat and followed Jesus. Instantly, I think about Zebedee, their father. So he's organized a fishing trip for the day. He's got all the things ready to go. He gets on the boat and the boys leave to go with, with Christ. And you know, there's no issue that happens there. Zebedee doesn't, we, we don't get to read about it. But the reason that they don't, he doesn't get upset with that is because walking with a rabbi was the highest honor that you could get in the Jewish culture. That in most cases, the Jewish culture, you would, you would do two jobs. You would take up the hand of your father, whatever he did, e.g. a fisherman, or you were lucky enough and smart enough to become a disciple of the rabbi. This is something in the Jewish culture that they understood, that walking with the rabbi meant two things. It meant living with the rabbi, knowing the rabbi, sitting with the rabbi every day, walking with him, understanding what he did, doing what he did, being where he was and living with him to fully grasp that rabbi's life. And it also meant the highest honor that you could have because that rabbi chose to walk with you, chose you to be his disciple. So now when we see that these the, the first four disciples that we meet immediately walk with Jesus because he says, follow me. Jesus was a rabbi. He would have worn the, rab- the robes that a rabbi would have, would have worn. And they understood what that meant in their society, that he was a learned, incredible man. So before they even realized fully who he was, he was a rabbi. So when the boys get off the boat, when, 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 sorry, I'm, I'm referring to them as the boys, but when John and James got off their boat, their dad wouldn't have been upset with that. Because now they're stepping out of what they do, but they're stepping into the honor of a, of a disciple of a rabbi. But it goes a little bit further than that because it, it talks about the fact that Jesus was a, 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 what was known in the Jewish culture as a setdik. And what a, I think I'm pronouncing that right. I've, I spent a little while trying to <laughs> pronounce it, but as, what a setdik was, was they were known in the Jewish culture as a, the most righteous man in that community. That in, in most cultures, there was one who would carry this title of a setdik and they were righteous, the righteous man. And they would wear robes that, that represented that they were that righteous man. And the Bible talks about the fact that Jesus was one of those. Not only was he a disciple, but he was a, a, a satdik. And what that meant was that he was the most righteous in their community, but he also carried a spiritual power and a spiritual um, understanding greater than anyone in his, cult, in his community. So these two men see, these four men see not only a rabbi of the faith, but a righteous spiritual man approached their boat and asked them to come. So before they even understood that he was the Messiah, they understood that he was an incredibly amazing man. And if I get to be a disciple of him, that is a, a massive, massive honor. See, as we've, as we've carried the scriptures through, we've lost quite a lot of the understanding of this culture that when we get to say, I'm a disciple, we misunderstand the fact of just how much of an honor and how important that is for us. The, 12, the disciples knew what that meant. We often take it for granted. 
not only do we know now exactly who Christ is and what he carries, he's chosen all of us to follow him as a disciple. We're not just a part of the crowd. We are a disciple that's following him, that's sitting at his feet, has the opportunity to learn and to gather the information that he taught, the righteousness that he carries, the spiritual power that he carries. You see, it's, it's, it's so easy to misunderstand who Christ was and what that means for us. That was why when we first planted this, this church, we spent so long unpacking who Christ is. Because at the end of, of that, we're his disciple. And it is the most incredible, highest honor that we can ever walk in and understand. And all of us get to be a part of that. When that pops in our mind and we realize what that means, jeez, we will lay down everything. For the disciples, that verse where Jesus says, unless you give everything and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. Immediately, they left their father's boat and everything. They would have inherited that boat. They would have inherited that business. Immediately, they left that behind because they knew who Christ was and what he was carrying. You see, guys, we've got to start to understand what that means for us. We've got to put ourselves in, in, in James and John's shoes and go, I'll leave this all behind, Christ, and follow you. Because of who you are and because of what you're doing. The next disciple that we meet is Philip. Go with me to John 14, 8 verse 14. Again, Jesus says to, to Philip, follow me. And he does. Now when you read that, when you see that Jesus just says, follow me, that's all he has to say and they follow him, it's because they realized who he was. They saw the robes that he was wearing. They had heard the prophecy that was given of the Messiah, what that meant for them. He didn't have to say much more than follow me. Philip was put in charge of the provisions for Jesus and, and the disciples. But one of the most interesting things about Philip is in this verse 14, verse 8, one of the most interesting things that, that I think anyway. So this is at the Last Supper. Jesus just explained, explains to the disciples that he's the way, the truth, and life, and that no one comes to the Father except through, through him. And if, if you know Christ, then you know the Father also. He's sitting at, at dinner, just to set the scene. He's sitting at the Last Supper with the, the disciples, and he's just explained this. So Jesus just poured out. They've walked with Jesus now for, for quite a time. And Jesus is just explaining that he's the way, the truth, and the life, and, and, and he is the way that you get to the Father. And Philip puts his hand up. I have a question, Jesus. I have a question. Yes, Philip. Can you show us the Father? And that'll be enough for us. So after Jesus just spent time explaining who he was, explaining how they see the Father, classic Philip pops his hand up and asks, but could you please show us the Father? You see, so often in this Christianity, we get so wrapped up in having to know all the answers. 
We get so wrapped up in the fact of, okay, I've been in church now for 20 years, so I should have this thing well understood. The disciples were at dinner with Jesus and they still missed the point. And Jesus says to, Jesus says to Philip, have I been with you so long and you still don't know me? Philip, whoever has seen me, has seen the Father, how can you say, show us the Father? Guys, we don't have to be the most intelligent, learned, know-it-all people in the world. I was having a conversation with Brad and we were discussing a, um, a theological topic and we had to get to the point that we were both kind of wrong and we were both kind of right. And it wasn't heated, it was a healthy discussion, but we had to end the discussion with there's a mystery in God that we just don't have yet. It was a difficult thing for both of us. <laughs> but guys, there's, there's, so much, there's so much that we don't understand. There is so much that the disciples didn't understand and they, they had a, an intensive three-year course. But still Philip put his hand up and said, Jesus, I don't know what you are saying. We have to understand, guys, that it's, it's okay to be vulnerable with God. It's okay for us to be in a place where we just don't understand. Whether you're sitting in the midst of a storm and you put your hand up, God, I don't know what I'm doing here. Whether you're sitting in the midst of a job that just doesn't make any sense, God, I don't know what I'm doing here. But the beautiful thing about Philip and the disciples is that they were always ready for the answer. And they listened and acted on that answer. If we're going to ask a question, be ready for the answer. If you're going to say to God, hey, I don't want to be in this job anymore, and then he gives you another opportunity and you go, oh, no, it's safe here. And then you miss the opportunity, God, I don't want to be here anymore. I've already sent you something, son. I'll send you another thing, but I've already sent you something. You see, we have to be able to be vulnerable with God. Say, Jesus, I don't get this thing. I don't know where I'm at. I'm reading and it's making no sense. You've asked me to spend time with you. I'm praying and it doesn't make any sense. And allow God to answer our vulnerabilities. Allow God to, to say to you, I've told you, but I'll tell you again. We don't have to know everything, but we have to have a heart willing to seek the answers for God. We have to be willing to ask questions, to find answers. One of my, one of my favorite things to be able to do in a, in a discussion with somebody is say, I don't know. Let's go and have a look. We've, we, in, there's there's a, a sense of pride almost that we have to let go of that says, oh no, I definitely know the answer to that. It's okay to still be walking this journey out. The disciples were still walking it out. The disciples were taking step after step after step with Jesus, but they never lost sight of the fact that he was the Messiah. He was the rabbi. He was the siddiq that would give us the understanding of that power. We cannot lose sight of that in the midst of our storms, in the midst of our misunderstandings. Go with me to John 1 verse 43. I know I'm bouncing around a bit, but I, I just, I'm vastly running out of time and there's, there's a couple more that I want to do. I better go there actually. 
1 verse, John 1 verse 43. Okay, so, so Bartholomew or Nathaniel, scholars, um, not myself, I got to jump off the back of their research, but scholars um, have done tons of research in arguing that these two people were the same people, that Bartholomew and Nathaniel were the same, different names for the same person. We don't really understand why they carry different names, but all throughout the scriptures there, there's solid evidence that, sta- that, that argues that they're the same people. Um, John 1 verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law is also in the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. So before Nathanael even meets Jesus, he's questioning whether or not a man could come out of, out of uh, Nazareth. Anyone from a tiny town? I'm sure many people have asked you, can any, anything good come out of casino? Uh, that's my hometown. And uh, we, we readily were, were um, teased, I guess, for being a tiny country town that uh, didn't produce anything uh, but beef. But before Jesus has even come to him, Nathaniel's doubting and saying, I don't, I don't know. I don't know, Philip. I, I, I can't see how this is going to work. Jesus saw Nathaniel coming toward him. And said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you that I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see much greater things than these. So Jesus was blown away by the fact that Nathaniel was ready to believe just because he said that he knew him. But when you, when you look at what Jesus actually said to him, he, he said that he knew him. That, sorry, he said that he saw him. But in the Greek, the understanding of that is I knew who you were. We have to understand that there was a spiritual um, building there that Nathaniel got this, this oh my goodness, This man knew who I was. He knows who I am. He called out the fact that I had no deceit when I walked in the room, and he knows who I am. He wasn't just impressed that Jesus saw him sitting under the fig tree. He was impressed because Jesus knew his heart. And instantly, Nathaniel, who was pretty ready to not follow Jesus, says to him, God, Lord, I'll follow you. I'll give you everything that I am. How many times do we walk and get confirmation after confirmation after confirmation of who Christ is, yet sometimes we struggle to walk? But Jesus is saying, I know who you are. That verse where it talks about you were knitted, I knew you before you were knitted in your mother's womb, that should be bone-rattling to us. Jesus says, "That's that's all you needed to see, and you're in? Wait till you see what I have for you. You'll see much more than this. But Jesus showed Nathaniel that he knew who he was. I saw you, son. I'm telling you right now, Jesus knows who you are. He knows your hurt, 
your pain, your suffering. He knows you and he's saying, I knew you. I know you, son, daughter. Come, let me show you what I've got for you. You see, church, when we begin to understand that, that he knows everything that we have, that we hold dear, and he says, I've got so much more for you. Let it go and I'll show you. We've got to begin to challenge ourselves and find out where, what am I holding on to and what does God want me to let go and just chase what he has. I love, this for, I, I love that, that Nathaniel says to him, that, that Nathaniel just responds to him with so much praise. You are the son of God, the king of Israel. Because Jesus said, I know who you are. I just find that so fascinating. That that simple thing, we've all had experiences of that. I'm sure every one of us that's decided to give our life to Christ is because we've understood that he knows us. He's seen us. That feeling that you got when you gave your life, that feeling that you got when you stepped into something is because Christ knew who I was. He has so much more for you. The final one I'm going to touch on this morning is one of my favorite disciples, Thomas. The next disciple that we meet. Because I see so much of myself in Thomas. And I see so much of of society in Thomas. Go with me to John 14. I know we were here earlier, but I, I wanted to read the part before it. Because while they're sitting at the table, before Philip questions Jesus, Thomas questioned Jesus. Jesus again was there explaining that in his father's house there are many rooms, if it were not so, would I have told you to go and prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may also be. You know the way, and you know the way to where I'm going. So Jesus is talking a little bit in riddles here. And Thomas puts his hand up and says, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? They had walked with Christ for three years now. And still they didn't get it. They were sitting at the supper table with Jesus before he's explaining the fact that I'm going to go in a minute. You guys better have things understood before I go. And they still didn't get it. Christ knew that they were walking this journey. That's why he said, I'm going to go so I can send the helper. Because once I send the helper, you'll begin to understand this so much more. I've explained it to you perfectly, but you've missed it. But don't worry, I'm going to send the helper and he's going to continue to explain it to you. Guys, this walk of discipleship doesn't start and finish when we decide to become disciples. We hear a lot of, a lot of people talk about finishing well. In our lives, you know, finishing with Christ well because this discipleship walk is a journey that we carry all the days of our lives. That we have to continually understand, continually check ourselves, continually walk this journey. And I hope that when I get to the age of some of you guys, that I can still be walking like you guys are walking. That's easy for me to say, being a mid-20-year-old. 
But that journey that we carry, this discipleship walk, goes for years and years. And it should be growing more exciting and deepen every time that we walk into it. And there's going to be questions. There's going to be the hand up, God, I don't understand. I probably showed you 20 years ago, but I'll show you again because I love you. God, I stumbled that thing. Yeah, but I'll show you again. Don't, don't worry. Thomas says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we find the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, Thomas, and the truth and the life, and no one can come to the Father except through me. Not only that, Thomas, Thomas still unsure of who Christ was. Christ dies and gets raised again, and Thomas, still not sure, starts to go back to his work when Jesus appears to him. As if that wasn't enough, Thomas says, not sure still. Can I please put my hand in your side to find out? How many times, guys, do we question and we feel this guilt, should I be questioning? Jesus doesn't rebuke Thomas. He just shows him. When we have questions, God will show you, but we've got to be ready to ask the question. That walk of discipleship that we continue on, that walk of discipleship that we start on, we have to be ready to continue to walk that with God. It's okay to ask questions. When I was, when I was first in the church, I, I was very ashamed when I used to have questions. Is God real? Is this thing a joke? Do I really want to be on this? But if we don't ask those questions, if we don't begin to challenge ourselves in the things that we're thinking, we're never going to grow up. If someone doesn't show me that I'm kicking the ball wrong, I'm never going to learn how to kick it properly. So as we go along this journey, we've got to understand sometimes you're going to do stuff wrong, but you can ask questions on that. It's actually worse to pretend that you're doing it right and continue pretending that way and just continue on because I, I don't want to have to challenge myself and ask anybody. I'll just continue this. I don't want to talk to God about it. I'll just pretend that it's that way. But when we get to a place where we say, guys, I don't know if this is right or not, God can challenge us in that place and grow us. Every time I come to this, this pulpit to preach, this barrel to preach, there's things that, I walk away and I go, gee, was I right there? And I have to go back and double check. I ask other people before I write sermons, before I preach them, before, after I preach them, is there anything that you found in that that was wrong? Because I want to grow. But I also want to lead you guys into a, into a place where you can grow as well. It's okay to ask for help, especially to God. When it talks about going in and going into your room and closing the door, that is that one-on-one -on -one private conversation with God where you pour out everything and you allow God to change you and mold you into who he wants you to be. If Thomas didn't ask that question, how would he have known what was the way and the truth and the life? If Thomas didn't put his hand out into Christ and realize, oh my goodness, you are the Messiah King, I'm going to continue this journey and I'm going to do it well. You see, once he got that understanding, once he got that confirmation, he powered on into his discipleship, continuing to do his job. 
Guys, one of the things that all of these disciples that I've explained so far, they all have two things in common. And I'm going to say this again and again until I'm, I'm blue in the face. They had faith and they had a heart. They had faith and they had a heart. Faith in who Christ was and a heart to follow his call. Without those two things, we become a dormant church, like what Francis Chan is talking about. Guys who are sitting, they might have the faith, they know who Christ is, but they don't carry the heart to follow his call. In, in meetings for, for Set Free Care, we, we continually talk about the fact that this thing might not work. This thing might be too big that we can't carry it. But God put us behind it, so I'm going to have faith that he's going to do it, and we're going to have a heart to continue the journey. The disciples understood, God, I don't quite get this, but I know who you are. I know the robes you wear, and I know the authority that you carry. Therefore, I'm going to have the heart to continue your journey. As followers of Christ, as disciples, we have to be willing to to love nothing above him like the verse said in the beginning, and to pick up our cross. You know, when, when, when Christ came to earth, he came to reconcile us to God. And the method that he did that was through the crucifixion on the cross. So the cross was his call from God. So much so that when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he said to God, just take this from me. I don't want to do this. But God said, no, son, I can't. The call that we carry is our cross, whatever that looks like. Whether that means moving overseas to go and do some trip, whether it means to be in the job that you're in and be a light there, that's the call that we carry. But if you don't have faith and you don't have a heart to do it, it'll beat you every time. But the moment we pick up that faith of, God, Christ, I know who you are and I know what you're doing in me, and then I have the heart to follow that. God will give us more and more and more. He will unlock doors that we never thought could be unlocked. Just like Nathaniel, God says to him, that's all you needed? Wait till you see what I have for you. When we step into this call, it was a massive call for me to step in, into church, church ministry. Something that I never thought I would ever want to do or do. But I couldn't negate the fact that God had a call in my life. And I, Many times I close the door and say, God, I don't understand this. God, I don't get this. I'm going to work full time for beyond, for a little of the minimum wage. I don't get this. But God said, I'll give you the heart, son. You bring the faith and you follow my call and I'll give you everything you need. And you know, I've never been more satisfied in a job than I have this one. In actual fact, I, I, I don't see it more so as a job than I do just an outworking of my life but because I follow that call. And that's not to toot my own horn, that's just to say that there's times where we can question this. There's times where we go kicking and screaming, but we go, bottom line. Because God will say, you come with faith and you have a heart to follow it and I'll give you more. But he also says to us, I know you. And I'll answer your questions. The very reason that we have to understand the disciples is because they were just like us. They were nobodies, turned into somebodies, just like we are. But we have to understand that God has something for us. We just have to have the faith and the heart to carry that out. So why don't you stand?
We're just going to pray. I hope that I brought that across the way that I wanted to. But let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you, God. We just thank you, Lord, that you, you know each and every one of us. God, I thank you that, that you have designed a life for us greater than one we could ever think up on our own. God, I thank you that your plan was perfect. That Jesus, you would come and follow the call that, that your Father gave you and sacrifice everything so that we could have everything. I just pray, Father, that this morning you spur hearts, that you ignite fires that just begin to, to explode out of control, God. That those that have been sitting dormant get that passion and that spark back. That those who have been sitting in a place that don't understand, you begin, you begin to bring clarity and understanding. Holy Spirit, I pray that, that you go forth into each, of, each and everyone's life now and you just begin to bring purpose, clear direction. But God, those with, those with questions, you bring answers, Father. Those with desires, God, you just begin to fulfill those desires, Father. And I just pray, Lord, that this morning you've spurred people into a place, Father, that, that has them back on that journey, active, their boots back on, back on the run for you, God. I just thank you for everything that you've done, for everything that you're doing, and for everything that you will do in this place, God. Just ask that anything that wasn't of you just falls away, that your words begin to burn in people's hearts this morning, God. To reignite that desire to chase you. In Jesus, in your wonderfully powerful name, we pray. Amen. Thank you. Hopefully there's hopefully there is something that you can take there. Go and get a billy.